This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 149. Misconception is that people think boundaries are about other people's behavior. And then some people, you know, get defeatist, like I can't change those people's behaviors. You know, my admin's a grinder and, you know, <laughs> just right, like my my teammates are extra, you know, my whatever, like your boundaries are about your behavior. Welcome to a real-world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I'm here without my co-host, Mr. Matt the Handyman Rogers. Matt, uh, let me know that he wasn't able to make it tonight. He has had a busy week with with family commitments, and and uh, he knows my policy. It's always family first, so we never question it when we have to cancel or push back recordings or skip a recording when it comes to family. He did mention something about a, a house project that needed to get finished, which I'm going to have to check my phone afterwards because usually his house projects uh, turn into to my advice on his house projects with texts and pictures of of how I would solve the problem or, or fix what he's trying to fix. So I'll have to check that out later. But tonight I had a great conversation uh, with our guest who has spent a long time in the classroom and has left the classroom and, and focused on positive psychology, Grace Stevens. She was, she was really fantastic. We talked a lot about how to make ourselves happier as teachers, how to make ourselves more joyful and feel more balanced. And so this is a conversation that absolutely applies to every educator, every administrator, every uh, student that is seeking to be an educator, and even those that have retired and want to continue to seek balance and, and joyfulness in their life. So I think you're going to find a lot of this conversation very practical, very useful, and specific strategies that you can definitely implement into your daily practice and become more more joyful and give a, our students a better product with the better energy and more positive energy that we bring to our classroom. So without any further delay, let's hear from Teach Better real quick and jump right into our conversation with Grace Stevens. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing tonight? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Absolutely. I'm really excited to jump into this conversation. Uh, so to kick things off nice and simple, please officially introduce yourself to our audience. Let us know where you are coming from and give us a snapshot and an idea of what your uh, career has looked like inside and, and outside of education. Okay, so um, I'm coming to you from Northern California. So that's cool. Even though I have an accent, I have lived here <laughs> for 35 years in Northern California. And yeah, my uh, career in teaching, like, so right now what I do is I am what I call a teacher empowerment coach. I work with teachers to help them feel more empowered, to have a positive experience. Um, I'd written a couple of books on teaching. One of them got quite popular, um, Positive Mindset Habits for Teachers. So I don't know, maybe some of your listeners have heard of that. Um, I was a second career teacher um, and I like to say, you know how we have those tests in the classroom, you know, you have your, um, your, your summative, you put all of those, okay, but there are some tests in life, like the end of the chapter, like the mastery, like if you don't pass it the first time, you're going to have to keep taking it in. So that's kind of what my career looked like. I was in the corporate world super successful I do have to say without being you know too modest I really was crushing it I was miserable like I met all the goals that I thought I wanted um and I really wasn't happy I was very disconnected um from my life I was very stressed overwhelmed I felt like I didn't really 
participate, was present with my family. And so I decided to make a really big change. And that was to um, follow my childhood dream of being a, a public school teacher. So I went back to school at 37 to get my credential, started, got my class, loved it. Teaching, magical, checked so many boxes. I was just, it really um, was very fulfilling in many ways until it wasn't. And then I realized I'd created the exact same situation for myself, stressed, overwhelmed, burnt out, just not present at home. Um, and now doing all of this for, let's be honest, a lot less money. Um, and I was like, oh my God, I can't change careers again. Like I needed to change me. And so what I did was I just went on this really big deep dive into all things, you know, positive psychology, I guess you would call it self-help. I became a neuro-linguistic programming uh, practitioner to, to fix myself, not to fix other people. But I really went on this kind of uh, neuro kind of nerdy deep dive while I was teaching. And I managed to really get back the balance, bring back the joy. And um, I had a very rewarding, very rewarding 20-year um, career. I always said I would be um, a public servant for 20 years and that took me all the way through COVID and post-COVID. <laughs> um, but I will say that um, part of my experience was a lot of other teachers looking at me and saying, well, how come your experience is very different from ours? And that's what led me uh, to write the book, Positive Mindset Habits for Teachers. Because essentially, I worked in a really small school. We all had the same students the same resources, the same admin, right? But I seem to be having a more positive experience. Um, and so that's basically how I got here. So do you think if you had had your, uh, we'll, we'll just say epiphany or revelation of of realizing that the the stress, the, uh, you know, being miserable, being, not being present at home, do you think if you had that realization in your first career, you would have, you could have, if you would have reflected and said, it's me, it's not my career, like you did the second time, do you think that you could have reached the same point you are now in terms of these positive habits and the self-help and the, you know, the positive psychology, or do you feel that there is a different level and a different twist when it comes to being in that positive mindset as a public school teacher? So that's a really good question. Do you know what? No one's ever asked me that question before. Like, couldn't you have figured it out back then? Um, because if I'd have figured it out, I could go back to doing that, but I didn't want to. So here's the thing. Um, what my, um, so before I worked, worked in the staffing industry and um, I would find people jobs, right? That was the first level, very rewarding. And then I moved up and I was a branch manager and I would help companies find employees and you know they moved into the area and and helping them be successful okay still very rewarding then I moved up the ranks I became a vice president I became a national sales rep um, sales manager I was flying around I had no relationships with people and I really um, didn't feel that what I did had value to anyone other than shareholders to be honest, I felt like they're going to get the same staff somewhere else, whatever, right? So I had missed that connection piece and I didn't feel there was a purpose piece. So yes, while I did, um, it was a little crazy hopping on and off of planes and running around and doing all the things. So teaching certainly gave me a better schedule that I wanted, which allowed me to have, you know, as many parents feel like, okay, so what happened was it was the first day of my daughter finishing um, kindergarten and I picked her up got off work early, picked her up. She was so excited. And then like, she was like, oh, now what do we do? And I'm like, oh, well, Monday you go to the after-school program, right? Your summer is going to be at the after-school program. And so that's when I really decided <laughs> to make a change. She started to cry and I'm like, no, I want to spend my summer with my kid. So there were some things about the schedule that made it much better. But um, no, the piece that I really found magical about teaching um, was um, the purpose I really felt like I felt called, right, as many of us do, to have um, a bigger vision for my life and to have a great inner impact. And also, you know, the connection piece, there are so many um, ways to connect. And also, like, I taught little kids 
kids are fun. Like, it's just a better way to spend my day. Like, you know what? I love reading books. I love literature. There is nothing I love more than, like, kids want to, like, oh, will you read to us? Will you read to us? Do all the voices. Like, it, what a cool way to spend the day. Yes, there are stresses. Yes, I mean, I'm not out of touch. I mean, I, I said I taught through COVID, after COVID. For 16 years, I taught a Title I school. I mean, so much trauma in that school, so many issues. But the moments of joy, the things that really were impactful to me were all there. And I, I'm not sure that I could have found that outside of teaching. Now, some of the stuff like, you know, learning um, to set boundaries on myself and my time and those things. Yes, certainly that would have helped in the corporate environment, um, having perspective, having a gratitude practice, um, having, you know, kind of coping strategies as far as, you know, mindfulness and other things. So those things would have helped, but right, I'm but not teacher, sure. That... Teaching has like a little, little something, <laughs> something different. And it's, <clears throat> it's funny you're, you're saying this about the, the word joy and yeah. Teaching should be a career uh, and a daily practice where we can find so much joy. And like you said, there's so much stress that comes with teaching. There's so much baggage. There's so much that work that comes with it. Um, and and I do want to dig into a lot of those specific things that you you just listed. But the the joy, I really believe, is is irreplaceable. And and it, as uh, as you know, Grace, I. I send you an email 20 minutes before we were supposed to record to let you know I was going to be late. And the reason I bring that up is just today. So now as an instructional coach, a lot of my time is spent supporting teachers working with admin. So this morning I was in charge of uh, middle school math for our in-service day. So we had in-service in this morning. And I feel as though I put together a really meaningful session for the teachers. I think overall it was received very well. Uh, we talked a lot about instructional practice and I provided them a lot of time to take and apply what they learned. Um, and quality professional development is something that I take very seriously. And I try to always provide teachers with a meaningful experience. They might not agree with everything I say. They might not um, be prepared to, to have a mindset shift in a direction that I'm taking, but I always try to make it practical and relatable to what they're doing. So I was very happy with how that morning went. I just left a soccer game for our district. I had former students playing there in, there in the state playoffs. And I was able to talk to a few of them that were my students as fifth graders after the game. And they were thrilled to see me. I was thrilled to be there. And I was driving home and I was joyful, reflecting on that experience, not what I felt as a coach, right? I love my job as a coach, but that joy comes from the kids. And I even thought to myself, should I go back to the classroom? Because th just that moment of joy is so palpable. And so as teachers, how can we recognize, reflect, and pay attention to the joy that is around us in, in, on a daily, weekly, and, and, and yearly basis in the, in the classroom? That is a really good question, is how can we savor that? Okay, so I have done, like I said, a bunch of nerdy qualifications, right? But really done a deep dive into positive psychology. And I think that um, a lot of um, what I'm um, proud of what I've done is to take all of that and put it into really practical, small habits. And so um, what it really boils down to is retraining your brain, which, you know, when I started having this conversation, I wrote a book called The Happy Habit um, over a decade ago, and people kind of wrote it off as a little woo-woo. Um, <laughs> maybe it was. But now that, you know, Carol Dweck has got us all, you know, brought into this wonderful idea of, like, growth mindset, right? We know that intelligence isn't fixed. Well, guess what? Neither is your happiness set point. You can make new neural pathways that way, okay? And so one of the things to do is I like to describe is you've got to kind of find a way to Velcro the good stuff, right? Kind of hold on to that as much as you can and Teflon the bad stuff, like try and let that slide off because, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, you know, that cap 
kept us alive as a species, we know that we have an, a, like a negativity bias, right? Like we're, we're, our radar is set for looking for the stuff that isn't great, right? It used to keep us safe. But now that basically just makes like a, an assault on our nervous system. And especially in education and in our classrooms today, you, you don't need to set your radar for the bad stuff. It's going to come finding you, right? So what you need to do right, is set your radar to find the good stuff. And so I have a habit um, that I, a lot of people do this, but I have always done it since my children were little. At the end of the day, when they were going to bed, I'd say, tell me the best three parts of your day. And so I really took that into the classroom. Like all day, I would kind of like, okay, what are the best three parts of my day? And what that does is one, it kind of set my, you know, it, it's kind of fun. Like, oh, is this going to make my top three? Is that going to make my top three? Whatever. Um, and I would start intentionally looking for moments of joy. And I have a closing ritual before I go home at the end of the day. Instead of thinking about all the stuff I need to do, I'll purposely write down the best three parts of my day. And a couple of things. One, so it's top of mind when you get home. And your family says to you, how was your day? And instead of spewing all the like things that annoyed you, it was good stuff. But again, it was like setting kind of a radar. And I made a little journal with prompts, you know. So just looking for the good stuff, um, setting an intention. Every time before I walked, um, how many times a day do we go from the, room to, to, from the classroom to the office? Right. And we're thinking about what we have to do and the copies we have to make and whatever. And I would just set this intention. I'm going to find five things that I like. Right. I would just walk and I would look and I would see the kids jumping rope and laughing. And I would see one, you know, student tying up the shoes for somebody else. Like there was so much good stuff if I took the time to look at it. So that really helped. Um, it's just a practice. It keeps making, you know, you can't just do it once. You, do, you make it a habit. Right. Um, I, I would incorporate it into the classroom. You can do with any age group. We have what we called it was a joy jar. And um, it was literally just an empty old container. And I would have little stick notes by it. And when something really fun happened in the classroom, you know, those things that you don't plan and then you're all laughing or somebody says something and the kids would be like, let's put it in the joy jar. Or if something happened to them, great. You know, when they were outside, they put it in the joy jar. And then when we were in class, if we needed a little bit of um, change of energy, I'm really big on the, the thing I say again and again is your energy teaches more than your lesson plans, right? And so sometimes you know that things just aren't going great and you need kind of like a pattern interrupt. And a kid would be like, hey, can we can we read some joys? Okay, let, let's go get a few joys out the joy jar, right? So trying to incorporate the kids into it too. Um, so that's just one of the ways just kind of setting your radar and making it an intention like the good stuff is there you gotta kind of proactively look for it and then when you find it try and savor it and um i literally the journal um I published it, it's printed and I have like six or seven of them, like at the end of the year, like I go back and I look and um, at all my happy memories and it has like, you know, quote of the week or whatever, just all the fun stuff that we forget. And sometimes when I'm having a bad day, like I'll just look and be like, you know, it's just nice to, to look at the good stuff. So that's one of the things. I mean, it's not, it's not rocket science, but actually it's brain science. <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like as we... As we dig into more habits, it's important to figure uh -huh. out the sustainability piece, right? What you're saying, what you're saying makes yeah. total sense, but it's the same as eating vegetables instead of potato chips. It's the same as yeah. you know, it's the same as exercising instead of sitting on the couch. Where, how, how can we make it sustainable? How can we make it into a habit? What are some some tips and tricks to to do that? And, and I'm a firm, I'm a firm believer in, in, uh, self-discipline and, um, you know, work ethic. So those are, those are things that I subscribe to, but I find that there are things in my life that I, I, I have a strong work ethic towards, and I have a lot of discipline towards this podcast being one of them. This is, you know, my 149th mm -hmm. recording and Yay, thank you. Congrats. And there are other things that. I wish I could apply this type of discipline to. So do you have any advice for teachers that say, yes, I, I want to look for the good. I want to develop these habits, but what, what can we do to make it a little bit more sustainable? Okay. So yeah. Um, 
one, involve the kids if you can. Any inhabit you can involve the kids in. You know, the first time I taught my kids like the simplest little, you know, brain break, you know, take five breathing or whatever. And and um, as a pattern interrupt, when we come in, let's center ourselves, whatever, you know, and then they'll start saying, hey, can we have a brain break or whatever, right? So involve the kids, number one. Two, you know, there is this concept of habit stacking. Okay, so the science of habit stacking says if you want to be successful with a habit, you need to make it easy and obvious, right? Uh, James Clear wrote a wonderful book, um, Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read it. You know, I wrote a whole Huge fan. Okay, great. You know what? I wrote a whole series of books called One New Habit a decade ago. Um, no one bought them. So he is better at marketing than I am. Um, but validation that we have the same ideas. So that's kind of cool. So one of them is make it obvious, um, make it easy and habit stack. And what that means is if you already have a habit and you want to incorporate a new one, tie the two together. So I'll give you an example and then we'll put it to the classroom. So for me, terrible habit and I bet you I'm not the only teacher really don't drink enough water okay it was always an issue inside the class that's because you get that's because like, then you have to go to you, the bathroom I can't go <laughs> yeah you can't go right and so if my choice in the morning if I can only hold a certain capacity of liquid you know it's gonna mm, be my coffee absolutely right that's that's within everybody's best interest that I have my coffee in the morning but it really once the day got going I never drank water and I really wanted to get better at drinking water so the simplest thing like before I went to bed I'd fill up my water bottle and I would put it on top of the coffee maker because in the morning my first habit was to come down and turn on the coffee maker well it takes a little while to percolate while it's percolating the water's right there just drink it right make it obvious make it easy attach it to another habit you already have so in the case of looking for the three good things in your day or you know trying to um like I said, kind of hold on to the good stuff, right? Then um, I would take my little journal um, that I had and I would put it next to my car keys so that when I was, I had a, a closing ritual for the day that I would always, I'm just the person who likes a clear desk, even though it might all be messy in my drawers. It was clear. I didn't want mental clutter. I would take a big pink stick note and write the three things that I needed to do in the morning and leave the stick note right there. So I told myself, look, it's there. I can leave it there till the morning. And then I, when I went to grab my keys, the journal was right there. And I would make myself write down the three good things, write down the three good things. And so that was something to help, um, me keep up with that so there's your answer involve the kids habit stack attach it to a habit that you already yeah, have that, that makes sense and i think involving the kids is a is a huge piece we've we've yeah. talked about goal setting on this podcast and and setting our own professional goals and there were times where i had ideas of things i wanted to try in the classroom or strategies i wanted to use or projects i wanted to try with the kids and i would talk about what i wanted to do where I thought it might go, uh, you know, very explicit with the students that I, I don't really know where this is going, but I want this to be a journey together. And there were times where they held me accountable. Like, hey, yo, Ms. Oh, Herman, yeah. we haven't talked about this project in over a week. Oh, right. Let's, you know, so they definitely were a support system for me in in following through on those. <clears throat> and thinking about the habit stacking, I'm, I'm going to have to f figure out a way that I can work out while I podcast because then my, I'll be able to uh, <laughs> increase my, my exercise routines for the, for the week at least. Um, uh, I, I don't just, know about walking on, the, uh, walking on the treadmill while recording. It might, might not be great for oh, the Oh, listen, I don't know about with Yeah, I used to, um, I did have a habit of um, back in the days of like before streaming and everything, you would TiVo, right? You would record stuff. And so <laughs> I had an elliptical and that in that room was the only TV in the house. And I would TV on my shows. I would only watch my shows if I was working out. And yeah, I used to get more workouts than I will have to say. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you, you taught you about 10 minutes ago, you talked about some other strategies that are very important for positive psychology. So what are, what are one or two of the other things that you think are really essential or really easy for teachers to to step into to start to to build that momentum towards a happier more balanced life okay so they're simple but i'm not okay. sure that they're easy i would not tell anybody they're easy but i will say there are some simple things so if you look at just so some things are going to come already with the job 
right? Um, some of the building blocks classically for, for happiness um, would be connection, purpose, okay? Um, flow state. I know there are so many distractions inside the classroom, but you know that I know for myself, you know, for 20 years and, you know, I'm older. By the time you get to my age, you've buried people you've loved. You've been through many difficult things in life. And I would say teaching was always when I was at school, it almost was like a meditation. You're so busy that like nothing outside of school really you know, since when you get there, you just keep going and going and going. And that is kind of that good state where you're not really thinking about other things. So those things kind of already come with teaching. You can't avoid them. And, and those are really, you know, positive things for your mental health. Um, something that people um, don't um, focus on enough, I think, um, and I know maybe the younger generation will roll their eyes at me. It's okay. You know, I'm to that age now. Listen, when I was a kid, my dad never once referred to the television as anything other than the idiot box. Um, and I really think like I'm getting there because like I tell people all the time, like, put your device down, put your device down. So I really think that one of the things that is very damaging and it really concerns me about, you know, the way children are growing up now with all these distractions, instant gratification, you know, what is that doing to our brains? But at the same time, I feel like um, I think we're very educated and very knowledgeable. We make that connection between what we put in our bodies, what we eat, you know, what we drink, if we're taking drugs, all those things. We understand how that affects us, but we don't make that same connection with our mental diet. Okay, and so, you know, for me, the mind is the most fertile soil in the universe. You'll be really mindful about what you put in it, really mindful. And so, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes is Albert Einstein, and he said, one of the most important decisions you need to make in life is whether you think we believe in, a, we live in a friendly or a hostile universe, right? And if you want to be happy, then it's really that mindset that we live in a friendly universe, right? Like, I work very hard at extending grace to people and just really um especially you know with parents when we can be so judgmental and all those things i like to think people are doing the best they can with the skills they have right in the situation they find themselves in right extend a lot of grace that leads to a peaceful existence but it's going to be very hard to um think that we live in a friendly universe if you know um we're constantly on social media uh we're um all of our uh, viewing habits are, you know, true crime, <laughs> whatever, right? That, um, you know, our nervous system is bad enough that when we're in the classroom, there is a constant assault to it, just the noise, just the, 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 all the directions we're pulled into, all the decisions that we have to keep making, right? But above and beyond that, like our nervous system, you know, if you think back to when we just, you know, lived in small communities, getting in fight or flight mode really only happened when there was a threat right and so you're really just worried about your immediate community well now you know i don't really feel um that our brains and our nervous systems have developed enough to really incorporate like the whole world like if you're streaming news all the time and you're constantly on social media like it's like drinking trauma from yeah, a fire is, like it's just too much it's it's relentless. Um, it's designed to instill fear is basically what it is. It's fear and consumption is pretty much what it is. And, um, and if you're just absorbing that all day, it's really hard um, to have a peaceful, joyful experience. Like you're just constantly on edge. And so I would say um, that that is one piece that I, I feel isn't easy for people, but it is really important is to do some kind of, um, you know, just kind of uh, inventory about, you know, what podcasts do I listen to? What shows do I watch all the time? You know, who do I follow on social media? Like, does that maybe even have a, um, a score sheet? Like, is that, you know, adding to my life or detracting from my life? Is it making me feel better about my job? Is it making me feel worse about my job, right? Um, when I'm on campus, do I hang out with the people who are solution-oriented, who are looking, who know, like, wow, 
education is really challenging right now. Um, but what can we do who are feeling empowered or am I hanging out with the battery trainers? We know who those people are, right? That when you engage with them, I think about it when I walk away, like you're walking away like Yoda, right? You've aged and you've, and you've bent over, right? So really being mindful about um, who you're hanging with. It's the same advice I give the kids every year at graduation. Mind who you hang with. When you go to high school, guys, mind who you hang with, right? So mind who you hang with um, at school. So those are some things that really um, to be proactive about your mental health and your mental outlook. And yeah, it's hard to find joy if you're if you're constantly stressed, overwhelmed, think people are out to get you. It's it's definitely something that I believe you can very easily not realize is going on of what you're watching, what you're consuming, what you're reading, the conversations that you have until you start to step back and reflect on it and, and pull those, those pieces apart. Um, you know, I've, I've tried to do that, do that myself with thinking about what I'm spending my time with and, you know, the little time that I have and, I try to, on a weekly basis, you know, I, I try to schedule out my time outside of the workday. And for me, my most important aspects of my life are, are my children and my wife. And so I, I don't do it anymore because I've kind of morphed into better habits. And I, I think what I used to do has set me up that I don't need to be as critical with it. But I, I heard on a podcast once about scheduling time in your calendar to be with your kids and, and, or whoever's important to you. Right. And so it sounds kind of terrible that I'm putting play with my kids on my calendar, but it was my, I, because especially when I transitioned into being an instructional coach, I lived by my calendar because I don't, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I, I wake up every morning and say, okay, where am I scheduled to go today? I'm strategic when I make my schedule, but then I look at my schedule, you know, on, on that, on that daily basis. And so I kind of, I guess I habit stacked a little bit with that. And I did it to make sure that I was ensuring I was spending the time that I wanted to with, with my own kids and, and with my wife. And um, it became easy at times for when the kids went to bed, I started doing work. And then I realized, you know, now I'm not spending, that's my time with my wife. So really being strategic with that and tracking it or evaluating it and, and reflecting on it. So it's really hard to as you've said many times, corporate and teaching, to be your best self when you leave the job, when you when you go home. And so you mentioned the word boundaries earlier. So I would love for you to share a little bit more about what boundaries, what you believe boundaries are and, and what you believe healthy ways are for teachers to create boundaries in and out of the classroom. Okay. Oh, so that's a big topic. So let me tell you what boundaries are. So boundaries are, you know, um, I think the misconception is that people think boundaries are about other people's behavior. And then some people, you know, get defeatist, like I can't change those people's behaviors. You know, my admin's a grinder and, you know, <laughs> just right, like my, my teammates are extra, you know, my whatever, like your boundaries are about your behavior, right? It's a decision that you make about um, your non-negotiables, obviously, um, but then beyond that, you, your needs and your wants and your preferences. And um, it's important to start with an inventory of yourself to say, what is it that's important to me? So that's awesome, yeah, that you had made the decision, you know, your family. That was a decision I made. Um, I wanted to put my family first. Um, I wanted a, a job where I was home more, not on an airplane. But you know, what was the point of having a job where I was home more, but I dragged my work home. And then even when I set boundaries on my work bag never coming in the house, um, emotionally, like I said, I taught in a very tough school for a long time. Um, you know, vicarious trauma is is a real thing. And I was very distracted with um, worrying about students, like from an emotional level and still not sleeping, right? So really having to set boundaries on um, my energy. So one, setting boundaries with other people, um, knowing which people fill me up and which don't, and being compassionate to everybody. I mean, there are coworkers who certainly um, have a negative outlook and their reality for them is real. Um, you know, I had a coworker who every year, every year I would be um, entering the lunchroom as they were entering, exiting, having dropped off their kids. 
they were the grade in front of me and, and she would say, ah, wait, these kids next year, they're the worst group I've ever had. She would say the same thing every year. And, you know, so that was real for her. And I would validate, I would say, gosh, that sounds tough. And then um, I would bounce. I just get out of there. Like I got to be somewhere. Or I would say something like, oh, maybe they'll mature, you know, next year. And like, you know, they were never a bad group of kids. So um, just setting boundaries with people, um, setting boundaries, yeah, with your time, which basically means learning to say no. Um, not every, but with all teachers, we come with such a pure heart that we want to help and we want to nurture. And the reality is that I'm going to say it again, your energy teaches more than your lesson plans. If you show up and you're exhausted and you're resentful because you're some stupid committee you didn't want to be on and you're just irritated, that is not a joyful day in the classroom. Kids react accordingly right? It's just a vicious cycle. You're not your best self. You're crabby. They kind of, you know, there's this whole issue of co-regulation, right? They're starting to not feel secure. What kind of version of the teacher are we getting today? So they're acting out. And then if we're stressed, we're going to be less patient with that, more reactive, we're going to take things personally. Like it's, it's just a hot mess, right? So understanding that setting boundaries is not selfish, right? We're such big givers. We want, we get easily guilted into things like, oh, if you don't do it, the kids will go without, right? Unfortunately, it always falls on the laps of the teachers, but we have to set boundaries, saying boundaries and saying no, learning to say no with confidence, with compassion um, is really important because protecting our energy should be number one because we're no use to anybody if we're crabby. So protecting our time, protecting our energy that people were around, um, and um, those would be some of the things. But I wanna say one quick thing about um, when teachers say, I can't say no. Um, I feel like when we're not trained, in, when no one teaches us how to set boundaries, we never learned that in school, right? We're all people pleasers, conflict avoidant. I mean, I don't mean to throw everybody in there, but you know, I've worked in enough schools that I know that's pretty much how it goes. And if it isn't, then there's a couple of people who are very good at setting boundaries and they become boundary bullies. They'll just, just roll through your boundaries because they know that you're gonna, you know, anything for a quiet life, right? Just don't wanna rock the boat. So um, understanding that setting boundaries is actually a loving thing to do. It's about your behavior. It's not about somebody else's behavior. Um, but I do find that a lot of teachers wait till they can take no more, right? Instead of setting boundaries along the way, they wait till they can literally take no more. And then they either explode or they set a boundary in a very rigid way um, that makes them being perceived as, um, you know, inflexible or, you know, not a team player or whatever, because they don't know how to, because they don't have confidence doing it lovingly. They do it in a very rigid way. So here's a trick. Um, I was actually doing some professional development this weekend with some new teachers. Um, and um, one of them was like, I really need help. Like I have a long commute and this isn't in my contract. And she was going through all the personal reasons why, she did not want to be doing this thing that she was doing. And she said, you know, I, I need to be able, tell me how I can tell that to my boss. I'm like, you really can't. Like, it's not going to be received well. The key is to have a student-focused reason, right? So let me give you an example. Let's say that, you know, somebody first off is, it, it always starts with a compliment, right? You're on your way to your class, your hands are full, you're worried, oh, the kids are in line and they're messing around and I just got to get to where I'm going and somebody will come up to you and say, oh, you'd be so good for this. I was just thinking of you. Please would you, you know, do this committee or whatever, right? Starts with a compliment. And so the first mistake, the first thing, just buy time, just buy some time. Say, you know what? I need to think about that and get back to you, right? I need, let me look at my schedule and get back to you. Then get back to the person in writing because then you have a paper trail and then you have time to put your thoughts together. Then when you get back, don't apologize. Nobody needs to say, unfortunately, I'm afraid I can't do that, whatever, just, Magic words, as it turns out, as it turns out, I'm able, unable to participate, blah, 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 and then give a student focused reason. So it could be 
anything. Like, um, as you are aware, this is my first year in this grade assignment. I have many students who are academically struggling. I feel all my attention needs to go to, and then throw in all the jargon, like remediating, helping them meet their standards, like as much academic jargon as you can throw in that always gets thrown at you. And then that's it. And then thanks for thinking of me, you know, good luck with your project. If you give a student focused reason, there's not an admin in the world who can't be like, oh yeah, no, you shouldn't be putting your students first, right? The problem is, is that we wait till we can't take it anymore. And then we're like, well, it's not in my contract and I'm going to call the union or, you know, it just doesn't come out. Like, no wonder we don't want to say it. That sounds very aggressive, right? So just buy yourself some time. If somebody's asking you to do something you don't want to do, answer in writing, don't apologize, come up with a student focused reason. Um, and that's really um, one thing that I think really, I mean, you know, setting boundaries is a whole, I, I have a whole podcast dedicated to balancing your teacher life. Let me tell you, talk a lot about boundaries. Um, but that's one nugget people can take away is answer in writing, buy yourself the time, student focused, yeah, reason. Not like I have a long commute. I, I, lo I, lo I love that's that idea. Because like you said, no one, no one's going to challenge that. Um, so that's a that's yeah. a great way for teachers to feel confident in saying no for the, especially like you said most teachers a lot of teachers are people pleasers so they they want to they want to help as much as they can and I I think it's really important for administrators or for the teacher leaders of the building whether it's the union reps or just the unofficial leaders of the building depending on the size is to really try to create a balance amongst the staff and to recognize where people are in life, um, whether it's short-term or long-term things going on. But what I mean by that is like, I, I remember I had a principal who said, you are contractually obligated to attend two after-school events. And there was you know, a, a list of after-school events. And he said, I will never hold anyone accountable to this as long as we always fill all of the sign-up spots. And it was his way of saying, like, I, I want you all as a team to to step up and support this. And and, you know, early in my career, my wife and I were both teachers. We ha we didn't have any kids. I did a ton. Right. And if I were in the build, if I were still in a building now, I would not be signing up for commitments that are after school because I have I have three kids now. Right. And and so. I'm in a different phase of life. And so at one point I was the one stepping up and, and now I would be hopefully the one able to step back and somebody else able to step up, whether it's related to kids you have at home or, you know, you have family members that you need to take care of, or you're going to grad school. Like there's all these different things that can be the reason why you can or cannot be the one to step up. But when a staff can really support each other, and try to recognize where everybody's at in life. Um, I think it also makes it a little bit easier for for teachers. And and something I, I've also done when I'm approached to be a part of something that I'm on the fence about is setting boundaries for what my participation will look like. So I was asked to lead a a student group at the high school, and I said I can I can do it if, and I set parameters very specifically as to what I was willing to offer to the student group. And so if what I was able to offer was a solution to them having that teacher advisor, then I was happy to step up. But if, if what I was able to commit wasn't enough, then they needed to find someone else or they needed to find someone else in conjunction with me. So again, setting that, that boundary um, up front, I think is so important. How can, it, so over the last five years, the connection between parents and teachers from a digital standpoint and a, and, and, uh, a point of ease has dramatically increased. And I, I think that's, I think there's many, many, many good reasons that are a lot of good that comes from that. However, it is very easy for parents now to get in touch with, with, with uh, parents to get in touch with teachers, whether it's email or an LMS platform that they're using, um, the need for a lot of things to be posted. And so all of those 
all of those programs, email and the LMS you're using, very easily go on the phone and work on our phones. So what are strategies that you used as you know, as you exited the classroom just a couple of years ago, or things you advise for teachers for setting boundaries when it comes to, very specifically to communication with students and parents and the use of their personal device, keeping them connected to work 24 seven. All right. So there's a couple of things. First off, yeah, listen, I love me some Class Dojo. Uh, that app was amazing. Um, amazing. And you know what? It actually reduced my parent-teacher communication. I'll tell you why. Because um, I had a Galaxy theme in the in the um, classroom and on a Friday, real quick, quicker than writing an email, I would pick up the phone, I would make a recording, great, you know, notes from the Galaxy, everything you need to know for next week. Right? And I would tell the kids, when you get home, have the parents look at notes from the galaxy. And then when they ask me, send me an email or a text or this or that, and you know, you've got 18 places, it's in Google Classroom, it's on your class website, it's all the other places, then I'll say, hey, go check the, the video, right? So, so that was cool. So there are a lot of ways um, to use technology proactively. But um, the two big things that I think um, are important as one manage expectations so I coach teachers on having a boundary plan like before school starts ideally have a boundary plan how many hours am I going to work what hours do I answer emails what time do I set notifications off on my um, all my devices you know you can set you know out of office um, whatever let parents know up front you know here's my policy and here's when you can expect a response and whatever so first give some thought to it um, and two, be consistent. Now, I had the littles, right? So what happens with the littles um, is, you know, you're responsible for handing them off at the end of the day. So that parent who wants to conference with you at the gate, like you got to cut them off. you got to tell them, you know what? My policy is I, uh, we need to have an appointment, like confidentiality, whatever else. I have meetings I need to be to. I want to give you the time and attention that you need. Please schedule an appointment with me, right? set a boundary but be consistent don't do it for one parent and then not another there's going to be a whole big well you did it to that person don't think oh just this one time i'll get back to this teach this parent after hours don't you will set a precedent and that will cause um a lot of friction parents talk oh you have favorites you like this parent you didn't like that parent whatever so have a boundary plan know that there are times that you, you know, that, that, that you set for yourself, right? I know I like to work, um, you know, like you said, different times in life. There was a time in my life where I was a single parent for 13 years when my children were in school. And for eight of those years, uh, I have a son and a daughter. The three of us were in three different school districts. It's a long story. Right. So imagine the logistics of that, of getting kids places and picking kids up and dropping them off and doing whatever. Like I needed to, you know, not have a great deal of flexibility that way. But once my kids were grown and gone, like, yeah, I was the person who would like, hey, somebody needs to be in early in the morning. I had moved. I could walk to school, be there super early in the morning, be there super late at night. Right. So I would like to just choose one night a week that I like to stay late. Um and and parents knew that was my night like okay so wednesdays are my night if you need a meeting you know the technology at least for parent meetings like you can zoom now before it was like with the parents like well i don't get off work until five great let's zoom on your lunch hour take a different lunch or whatever um, but set the boundary right be a professional Right. I used to get very frustrated when, you know, we have limited time in the morning before school. And you know how that is. You know, there's big competition for the copy. Right. Get to the copy machine. Do this. Do that. Do what you need to do. And then the parent shows up unannounced and wants to have a meeting with you. And the bell is going to go in five minutes. And I would always tell people, you know what? You need an appointment. And sometimes people push back to me and I would say, you know what? Like, professional like would you show at the doctor's office or the lawyer's office like if the lawyer says my hours are you know eight to six yeah that doesn't work for me I want a meeting at seven my hours are eight to six I mean right like I, I feel like it's there's maybe because I came to teaching later in life like I did have a kind of confidence about me that was just like well kind of these are my operating terms and conditions <laughs> 
right? We, we sign them all. These are my operating terms and conditions. Boys had very, very positive relationships with parents, very little friction, but I was very, um, I always managed expectations up front. I would invest in relationships like any relationship is like, you know, a bank account. You've got to make deposits before you take withdrawals. So I would spend a lot of time at the beginning of the year getting to know parents, sending positive messages home, doing all those things so that there was a little bit of a relationship before I had to set a boundary or say no or call with something negative about a child, like make those deposits early, but then be consistent and have a plan. Don't just like, okay, well, I'm going to stay till the work's done. The work will never be done. You need to be intentional about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And you need to have a clear idea in your mind. For me, my compass was always set to students. I'm here for the students. I mean, um, Obviously, I had a lot of skills and experience in a different area. When I became a teacher, I wanted to be a teacher and stay in the classroom every year. Oh, come on. You need to get your admin credential. You need to be on the union. Like you have all the skills for this. Like, no, I want to be with the kids it was the only thing I wanted to do. And so when I was evaluating what am I going to do and not going to do, which things am I going to kind of let slide until somebody sends me the second email because I have too much to do. My compass was always does this. How does this affect students? Is it good for students or does it meet somebody else's agenda? If it meets somebody else's agenda, that might not get done today. I love. So I, I love that, and I, I I'm glad that you highlighted the the deposits first, right? And and I, I was I was thinking the same thing as as you said that that setting those boundaries is really easy when you invest in positive relationships with the parents up front. And so for me, that was calling home to every parent before the school year started. Back to school night was before the first day of school in my district. I didn't talk about the curriculum. I didn't talk about, I didn't talk about what programs or what units we had in math. I talked about why their kids were going to have a special year and the things that we were going to do and the ways that I communicated and how they could be a supportive asset at home and how we would be a, a team to support their student growing. And so investing in those relationships early makes it very easy to set boundaries with parents. And I did the same thing. I told them that I typically am there early before school. I don't stay much after school. Kids left at 3.50. I was usually out, out of the door by 4 o'clock, 4.10, 4.15, not really any later than that. And I told them I don't check email until the next day. And so uh, homework was, as a fifth grade teacher, like what are the things that are potentially going to be an emergency, which is not an emergency, at home is going to be homework. And so what I did, I wasn't a big homework guy, but I did assign homework at times. And I told parents, I said, if anything is confusing, if anything is causing you to fight with your child at home, just stop, just put it away. Write me an email. I'll see it in the morning before your kid comes in and say, we were fighting about homework. He's not going to have it done. Great. I'll deal with them. That, like, I don't want you fighting at home with your child. And so, but I wanted them to know that I wasn't going to respond at five, at six, at, at seven o'clock at night to answer a question about the homework. Same with phone calls. I said, if any time you need to talk to me, I will talk to you on the phone, but you have to email me and say, I want to talk to you on the phone and then we'll pick a time and I'll, I'll call you. If you, if you leave, and I said, like, if you leave me a voicemail, it's not going to, it's not going to hit my radar. It might be there for three weeks before I notice I have a voicemail. Like checking the phone was not something that I, I do on a daily basis. I'm on my email every day. Um, when I, when I communicated with parents, I sent a weekly business email. It was just straightforward. Here's what's going on this week. I used Facebook. I had a class Facebook page where I posted everything fun, similar to what you were saying about class dojo and parents knew like the email was important. Look at Facebook for fun. Right. And so setting those boundaries, those expectations, I think is so important because it makes it clear for parents and it makes it clear for you and it makes it acceptable to not to respond emails right away. It makes it acceptable to schedule out the conversation that the parent wants to have. And, and I really appreciate what you said about be a professional, treat yourself as a professional and, and make it, make it known that you are a professional. Like these things can seem hard until you do them. And then as long as parents know that you are coming from a perspective of doing best for their kids on a daily basis. When you say, 
no, can we please schedule a meeting? They're not, they're not going to get upset. You're going to have once every, you know, 50, hundred parents that might, like you said, might push back, but you're, you're doing best for what you're doing, what's best for you, for your kids and for that parent. So you're in a mindset where you can listen without any distractions to that parent whatever whatever those yeah whatever exactly those like i want to give them the right. time yeah and especially when people are like you know it's an emergency it's really important like okay well then i'm going to send them to the office to be honest because i've got to be teaching in three minutes it's probably going to be about you know something important bullying or whatever like the admin need to take care of that i'm teaching right now so i was never afraid to to do that but i think the piece is make the investments up front like just one quick example i'll give is you know, um, I don't know if it's the same in the middle and the high school, but with the littles, we would put up the class lists. It was a big deal that the class list would go up at a certain time, right? At three o'clock the Friday before school, whatever. And kids would be running excited to see which teacher they got. Did they get the same teacher their siblings had, whatever. And I'm telling you, before the lists went up, 90% of teachers were gunning out of there. Like, I don't want to be in my room and they're going to come to my room and they're going to this and they're going to the man. I don't want to talk to them. And I would make a point to stay for an hour and have my door open. Listen, if they want to look around the room, they're little. They want to get comfortable. They want to get to know me. It was an hour out of my time. And it saved so much time during the year because people felt, oh, this is a teacher who cares, who's who wants to be there for the kids, who's welcoming, who isn't trying to avoid me. Like, it's not a very nice, like, you see them peeling out the parking lot before they find out they're your teacher. Like, what kind of message does that send? So, anyway, all of that. So, gosh, we covered we a have. lot, huh? So I want to I throw one last <laughs> thing at you before I before we sure. go to our exit Ask ticket, me. if that's okay with you. All right. Yeah. Um, so, this idea of work-life balance, I yeah. hear a lot about it, and there's things that I, I just don't think are realistic. And I know we've talked a lot specifically about that, mm-hmm. but just like, what is a, what is a realistic expectation for teachers to have on the idea of work-life balance and really looking at it from like a 180 day perspective? Okay. So everybody's here. I have a different take on you because I'm never going to be the person who, um, is like, just work your contract house. It's not realistic. Right. But the average, you know, us teacher <laughs> donates 15 hours a week to the school system for free. Somewhere between contract hours and 15 hours, there is a happy medium. So I know like, um, I try and look at it a different way. When people say it's not about the number of hours, for me, it's about the quality of hours. So um, let's say that you like you said, you have this um, that you have to sign up for two meetings. We used to have the same thing, but you know, I don't, in in California, most state, in most um, contracts at least, you have a certain number of adjunct duties, a certain number of hours that you need to commit to above and beyond your contract. Um, And so it's between, depending on the district, between 50 and 20 hours. So they're like, oh, it's only half an hour a week, whatever, we all know that isn't. So you choose a committee or you choose this, you choose that. And so there is all kinds of competition about who gets to choose the first ones, right? It sometimes goes by tenure, sometimes you have a lottery, right? Like who gets to pick the ones first? People want to run and get the ones that stipend, okay, whatever. But people will look at the hours like, oh, I don't want to do more than my 15 hours. Yeah, this active, this committee is three hours or this committee is two hours. I'm going to take the one that's two because otherwise three puts me over. So, yes, look at the hours. I'm going to say evaluate it based on your passion. Because I'm going to tell you, there is a difference between any activity that I signed up for after school. It better have had kids or I wasn't doing it. I'm there for the kids. So I used to put on a digital star lab, a planetarium, an astronomy night. I I can't even tell you. It took hours of my time, so much energy, lesson plans for the week, getting a substitute. Who cared? I loved it. It filled my bucket. If my own personal children, whenever, mom, mom, it's star lab week. When are we going? Right, Right. So all the kids loved it. I loved it. It was maybe 20, 30 hours extra work for that week. Who cared? I loved it. Compare that to get signed up for a committee that's unpacking the standards. It's an hour and a half. I want to tell you that's an ice picker. You know what an ice picker is? An ice picker is like, I would rather stick a pick ice 
in my eye than stay in that meeting for another five minutes, right? Like don't, like the like an ice picker for an hour or something that really fills you up, like you went to the soccer, right? Like that really filled you up, right? I had a teaching partner who at the end of the day could not bear to be around kids anymore. He used to go home. The first thing he did when he got home was wash his clothes because he wanted to wash the kids off them, right? So for him, a curriculum like unpacking the standards, beautiful for him. Go to that dude, uh, I'm staying with the kids, right? So evaluate it based on passion. If you have to do extra hours, which you will, do the stuff you're passionate about because then it doesn't fit to the best of your ability. There are gonna be some things you get dragged into, but you have to be realistic that um, there are different seasons, just like, you know, the beginning of the year when you get your your wonderful um, new planner and you do a scope and sequence, right? And you backwards map, how am I going to fit all my curriculum and standards in? Like the beginning of the year, you need to do that with your year, um, not just for the curriculum, for your family. You know, my daughter did dance. When's my kid in dance? When is this happening? When is that happening? You have to have a scope and sequence for the year so that you know when you can be flexible to take things on and when you can't. Let's say maybe you're, um, kind of like what you said before, when like everybody picks up the slack. Let's say you're an eighth grade teacher or a 12th grade teacher. What are you always going to have to do? Graduation in yearbook, right? It's always going to fall on you. What if your own child is graduating that year, right? That's the year at the beginning of the year where you have to set a boundary. You're going to have to say to an admin, hey, you know, I always do this because that's my grade. My own kid's graduating this year. I need to be involved in that. Who can do that for me this year? Right. So have this kind of um, idea about what else is going on in your life other than I mean, you, you're not going to be able to change school conferences. Conference week is conference week. Right. Like there's no flexibility around that. Right. But the stuff that you can move, the stuff that you have to sign up for, evaluate it based on. Is this going to fill me up and bring me joy or is this going to drain me? It's basically always comes back to the same thing, right? Trying to really be mindful about, is this contributing to my happiness or is it not? And while that sounds like a really selfish thing, that is the most selfless thing you can do for your family, for your kids and for yourself. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. So I want to end on that note and jump into our exit ticket, which is the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Um, be mindful of their own energy. Love that. What is the best advice you've ever received, whether it be from a colleague, a supervisor, or even a student? Oh, I should look to these questions before the best advice. You know, early on, um, uh, I had a mentor teacher and she told me it's, you know, it's not brain surgery. Like there's no like copy emergency. Like when we run around like, oh, my God, this is so important. Like we're not saving lives here. Like, you know, if you, we pivot. We, we know, we, we know we can do it, right? So that is really, really is stuck with me. Like this is not, there is no real emergency here. So this question I feel like has been the focus of our, our entire conversation tonight. So if you just want to add one little, one little thing or, or rephrase one thing that we've talked about, the school year goes in waves and there are those days or weeks that we struggle to survive. What is something that every educator needs to hear to power up in that moment of struggle? Um, I'm keep it old school. Uh, you know, this too shall pass. And my dad had that on the wall. It's 50 years. I looked at that. I always thought it was about the bad stuff. This too shall pass. You know, it's about the good stuff too. This too shall pass. We're going back to what I said at the very beginning. You got to Velcro the good stuff. You got to recognize it. You got to savor it. You've got to enjoy it because it will pass. And then when you're in the fetal position under the desk, hiding from the kids, crying in your car, yeah, this too shall pass. So be grateful when it's good and gracious when it's Love bad. That. It's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. 
What do you think separates the teachers who are the ones constantly seeking to change, innovate, and adopt new teaching strategies? Yeah, so that's the difference between teaching 30 years and teaching the same year 30 times, right? Yeah, it's going to be um, the teachers who are committed to self-development, to be honest, because otherwise you just saw you would get stagnant if you did the same thing every year, right? You challenging yourself and you with that, you, you wanted to learn new things. Like um, I always had a mission for my life was to learn and to teach. And, uh, you know, even though I stepped out of the classroom, I'm, I still learn new things all the time and challenge myself all the time. And I think if you're that type of individual that's interested always in being the best version of yourself, um, then you're going to innovate in your classroom. I love that. So Grace, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I think it's been very meaningful and, and useful for our audience. So how can they, how can they continue to follow along with you and connect with you in the future? All right. So an easy thing to do if they're listening to a podcast, they like podcasts. So my podcast is called balance your teacher life. Um, and, um, Another th easy thing they can do if they're interested, I have a free uh, like video training on the, funnily enough, the five habits of the most effectively stressed teachers. And they can get that at gracestevens.com forward slash happy. And Stevens is with a V, S-T-E-V-E-N-S. And so if they, if they want that video, actually, you, then you end up on a sequence where I will send you the journal that I talked about. So it's all good stuff. But an easy thing, like I said, all things you can find me um, at the podcast, have these kinds of conversations with others and, and uh, sharing my own wisdom about um, balance, boundaries, joy. I, I appreciate that. We'll link up to your podcast and your website on our show notes. Uh, do you use social media or any particular platform that you? You know what? And how could I possibly expect to sell books and do the things that I do now? It's not good for my mental health. Um, so I just opt, opt out of the whole thing. And people tell me, like, how can you ever, I don't, you know, it's not worth it to me. I, I am, a, yeah, it's like Grace Stevens' teacher um, on a few. I, to be honest, my daughter set it up for me. She's an adult. She's like, Mom, you need this. I never do anything. So, no, I'm, I'm terrible at social media. And I'm okay with that. I'm so okay with that. <laughs> Absolutely. So right. Grace, thank you again. I, like I said, I, I really think this conversation was meaningful and beneficial to our, to our listeners. I've, I've jotted notes down for myself to really reflect and think about some of the things I want to fine tune um, with, with my own well-being and my, my own boundaries and, and habit stacking. So I, I greatly appreciate this and um, what you do does make a difference to the educators across the country. So please keep doing what you're doing for the betterment. Of, of education as a whole. So as we absolutely, as we power down this episode, Grace, you absolutely left us feeling powered up. Everyone have a great week and we will see you all next week. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.